if you're someone who wants to build the kind of life you don't need to escape from. I'm your host, Nadia, a black woman who has spent way too much time trying to fit into a number of spaces that weren't and still aren't meant for me. But that's no longer my ministry. Even as mental health professionals being like, looking at someone else and being like, you need to get some more help or support before you try to help people too, because sometimes that's the hard part where we're at too, is just like, we can do more harm if we don't actually, if we're not dealing with our own stuff. And I feel like we can definitely do more harm than like some other folks can, because people are looking up to us and we might say things that are not really good or not helpful because we're kind of in our own mental space. So I think that also makes it hard of like, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves and then at times we also don't do the work of just like, it's okay to take a break. It's okay to step back and just handle our own stuff <laughs> before yeah. we try to go back out there. And I think that's also a struggle. I don't know how you do it. I struggle and I'm not in a space where people are talking about it all the time. I am thankful that I can like kind of step outside of my head and the space mm-hmm. that I occupy most of the time into spaces where maybe people are dealing with it, but they're not talking about it openly. We're we're in work mode. And the first (laughs) thing I want to do is start how I start every episode, which is asking you right now, how are you feeling in your mind and your body? How am I feeling? Oh, my. (laughs) I will say today, your girl woke up very tired. She did not want to get out of bed um, and definitely just felt like not very grounded. I felt like between like sleep and between not sleep and like, um, Cause yeah, I was actually at my boyfriend's place. So I like woke up at his place, but then I was just like in such a, like, I was like, am I dreaming or is this real life? Like what's happening mm-hmm. right now? And then he's just like, sleep. <laughs> Cause like, like, he's like, he doesn't know what's happening, but it's just like me mind racing. And then like, I think I mumbled a few times. He's like, wait, what's happening? <laughs> I'm like, never mind. This is real life. This part's not a dream. I just feel like I've been in a deep dream. So I feel like that's how I started today. So I'm already like, okay, Ashley's, you know, she's on a different, you know, not on my best start today. Um, But like, I'm okay, but definitely I feel like very fatigued and just kind of like, how is this day going to go? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. I feel that. I feel like every morning recently I've had, I've taken a pause to be like, what is this day going to bring? Mm-hmm. And it's never in like a, I mean, I would love to be the person who wakes up and is like, what is this day going to bring? And like, like, that's a different tone. (laughs) That is such a different tone. And I jump out and I get my coffee and I do my journaling and I'm feeling like I'm going to get all the things done. But really, it's more like, (laughs) what is this day going to bring? My body is not happy with me right now. Mm-hmm. my mind is not happy with me right now. So how can I make the best out of this day while honoring the fact that I know I need some deep rest? Yeah. It's been tough. It has definitely been tough. I feel that. Mm-hmm. This is a great time for me to ask you to introduce yourself to the listeners. So your name, something about you. I always tell people, tell people who you are and you can take that however you want. And then some values that you hold. Yeah. Um, well, I'm Ashley. I'm a Gemini. Um, <laughs> gang, gang, you know, you know, Gemini gang here. Um, like I already said, I'm a mental health professional. Uh, I just had a promotion at work, so now I'm a clinic manager. So that's a whole different 
a whole different ball game because that definitely impacts things. I'm originally from Chicago, but living in Seattle, doing that whole thing. I love coffee, but I haven't had any yet today. So it's okay. I will get some. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry music. about that. <laughs> oh, it's okay. Uh, that's why I was like, oh, I don't have time before I get home. And I don't want to do the instant coffee. I'm like, I'm not in the mood for instant coffee. I just want some nice stuff. So, and then I love music and I need to read more, but I love reading and writing. Mm. What have you yeah, been listening I've- to lately? Ooh, I have a random 2022 playlist that I just keep adding stuff to. But I will say lately I've been listening to some like I love 90s hip hop station or actually, no, it's a playlist on Spotify that's super long. And that's been a vibe the past, actually the past week, week and a half. Um, But otherwise, my little 2022 playlist is just like different songs that I've been like, new songs but then also old songs that I just want to listen to that have come back that I've reconnected with so that's how I kind of do my annual playlist is it's not necessarily strictly new stuff but also it can go way back and people will be like what is this it's like it don't matter it's my playlist so (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) That's awesome. Well, congrats on your promotion. Thank you. you. It's going to be different kind of work. I would love to hear like what kind of work you've been doing since this episode will be about mental health, mental illness. So tell us a little bit about what that space looks like for you. Yeah. So up until last month, uh, for five years, I've been at the same agency, which is wild because I've definitely gone through points of like, I'm going to leave. And people are like, you should leave (laughs) because community (laughs) mental health is hard. It's very difficult. It's definitely not an easy job. But I was basically a hybrid intake specialist slash case manager. It used to be called care coordinator, basically case manager. Um, So I like as the intake specialist, if folks have not done an intake for community mental health, that means you talk to me and I diagnose you at the end. Like I do a preliminary or provisional diagnosis. So that can be complicated because I know not everyone wants to be diagnosed, but a lot of it has to do with and community mental health, the counties and Medicaid, they control it. They want a diagnosis. And it's like, if you can go through like private practice, private insurance, or just not deal with insurance, you don't have to have a diagnosis written down because that's really, that's where most of the pressure comes from. Honestly, it's just billing purposes is why we really have to put a diagnosis down more than anything, more than anything. That's the reason why you talk to me on the first day. I collect a lot of demographic information I ask you, you know, about past history with mental health um, conditions, past diagnoses, if you've had them, any recent things going on. Um, But then I also ask about, you know, like physical health stuff, because community mental health goal is to be a more holistic approach. So like if you tell me that you've had a broken leg for two weeks and you've Mm. been really like anxious and depressed about it I'm like well yeah because your leg is not getting fixed like I would too and so our goal is to find out if you also are having other barriers in life and to connect you to those resources so sometimes that's a big thing that comes up we have people that most of their mental health symptoms are due to like unmanaged or like undermanaged physical health things and it's like should we help you find a new provider or just a primary provider because some people just haven't seen a doctor. So sometimes, you know, we collect information like that, which sometimes people are like, why are you asking me if I have a doctor? Why are you asking me if I have a chronic health condition? I'm like, because these are important and they really could impact 
your mental health. All of these things go into the pieces of the puzzle. Exactly. Because, yeah, some people get really, like, upset if you're asking them about it. I'm like, we're not, like, just trying to be, like, nosy posies. But it's really, like, you know, if you complain about chronic pain all the time and that makes you depressed, it's like, well, we need to know you have a chronic pain condition and that we're not just, like, they're always, like, really, really depressed about something with pain and we just don't know why. And it's like, because you have this thing that's not going away. So, yeah, so it's things like that, too, where I'm like, it is important for us to know if you have any type of conditions that honestly, you know, maybe you're going to go through a grieving process, especially if anything happens with like, you now have a disability that you never had before that a lot of people, that's a whole process that they have to go through. And we're here to support too. Um, And then we ask about previous mental health services, things like that. And there's also safety and risk questions about suicidality, homicidality. And so I also have had to be the person to figure out, okay, if you're feeling these things now, how serious is this? And, you know, Mm. internally, I'm always like, I hope it's not super serious because I don't want to have to do that next step. (laughs) I don't want to have to do the major intervention step of like, I have to call someone outside of my jurisdiction, aka I don't really have a jurisdiction, but you know, outside of my area of expertise, because yeah, I work in outpatient and I cannot physically hold anyone in the clinic if there's a safety concern. But also it would be really horrible if I let someone leave who's like, all right, I'm about to go do some stuff. Do <laughs> and I'm like, did I do all that I could to prevent this thing from happening? So because there's a lot of pressure on us in those instances, even though I truly believe, you know, people have. Free will, they get to, you know, you get to choose what you want to do, even if I'm going to be really sad by those outcomes. But it's also hard because they put a lot of liability on us as providers to ensure that we did all that we could to prevent XYZ from happening. And now I'm a clinic manager as of a month ago. So after five years of doing that and being the first person a lot of people meet, so I don't always get a lot of that background story from a lot of folks to be like, why are you actually here? And like, or, you know, like I immediately have to jump in and ask those questions. I don't usually get a lot to work with, but a lot of you know, the counselors at the agency, they get to read my intake. So they get prepped on people. I don't. I'm like, someone could come up in my office in all types of conditions, crying, shaking, really angry, yelling. And I just am like, all right, let's just see what we can do and how we can flow through all these emotions and feelings and everything. Um, And then now as a manager, I don't do intakes anymore unless it's like the main intake specialist is out or something. Like I can be back up for her. I don't really have a caseload. So I I think I still see like three or four clients that I used to see just because they're like, I want to work with a Black therapist. And, you know, there's very few (laughs) um, within the agency, especially in Seattle. And yeah, so now I'm like officially the supervisor of multiple staff people who will reach out to me with questions. But it's cool because this is something that I've been doing Mm -hmm. basically unofficially at my previous clinic because I've been there so long. I'm a fast learner. I know how to do most of the stuff and I've understood how the agency works with as much information that I'm able to gather because, you know, they're not always transparent in upper, upper management. Um, and so then it just made sense to, I get paid to do this now. I actually get compensated for all that what? time. Oh my energy. God. I was like, wow, That's too much. compensated. What? They're like, she knows how to do it all. First of all, she's a black woman. Exactly. She, knows how to do like, it. she learned fast. Now, five years later, we're going to pay her to do it. I have to do administrative stuff that I hate, but comes with it. Like, unless someone calls me or if a crisis walks into the like clinic, 
at which even most of the crises that have happened have not always been that much of a crisis. I'm just like, some of these people just need someone to listen to. They're like, okay, let me tell you the story about where I've been the past three months. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I'm glad they run into you in that yeah. space. They're like, listen, I need to talk to somebody. I'm glad it's you. It's me. It's me. Cause then I'm just like, okay. And I'm just like, you know, holding space. I'm like, all right, what's going on? And I'm like, let me tell you from the beginning what happened. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and then I'm just like, oh, this is story time. And then at the end they were like, is there anything else you want me to tell? And I'm like, you came to me. What? Right. Is there anything like, that you need to get off your heart? Yeah. I was like, is there something I can help you with? Because really, I just listened to you and you just were like, which is fine. But they're like, is there anything else you want to know? And I was like, I thought you needed help with something. <laughs> so it's like literally stuff like that where I'm like, okay, it could have been way worse. Um, It could have been someone yeah. like literally going truly like through it and like, yeah inconsolable and that and that's like a whole different situation and how I have to be like all right let's see what we can do and like try to problem solve or like what can we just do for right now that'll help you feel at least okay for like mm-hmm. the next hour because sometimes that's all we're trying to do you know yeah the next hour or how can I help you get it make it through this day if I can help you make it through this day would <laughs> you say that a lot of the people who work with you or alongside you also struggle with mental illnesses is that like is that very common in this field it is definitely way more common than people think <laughs> it yeah is way more common I think everyone at my clinic that I now manage has openly said there's openly there's everyone has something going on mm-hmm. and at my previous clinic I would say there was less people there were at least a few people who like don't have a history of like mental health conditions like besides like the typical moments of anxiety and depression that everyone might have right but like a very much circumstantial gone probably after like a couple of hours or like a day like it's really like a specific circumstance and so like besides working with the clients and stuff like most of them don't have a lot of direct experience with like dealing with like a mental health condition so like you know, they can't fully imagine what it feels like to have one. Yeah, I would say a lot of people at the agency definitely have them. And that's why sometimes it gets hard when they send out messaging, like upper management sends out messaging about like, especially during COVID, showing mm. up and supporting people. Thank you so much for still showing up and da 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 da, da. Because the language used in community mental health is just like, you're stronger than the clients. Even though I'm like, sometimes these clients are stronger than us. So please don't even... Yeah. Let's not discount what clients are going through because also we're not that different from clients, right? And so yeah. it's just like, it's just like I work here and then they're coming here to receive services. But like, honestly, we're not that different. Like so many people in school, like people are coming to us because they're in school, right? And people mm-hmm. who've gone through the program, I've even gotten through for grad school, right? So it's always, you know, funny when you run into people who are like, I go over my disclosure statement. I say where I, you know, graduated from. They're like, doing that program now or people who want to go to grad school for Mm. counseling and mental health want to ask you like okay when we're done with the intake can I ask you questions about how grad school was like and some and like I'll have that conversation with people I'm like yeah I'll tell you how grad school was if you want to know the real tea (laughs) if you want to know the real tea (laughs) but it's so wild it's like it's like meeting people are like you're on the journey to where I am currently we have so much in common but Mm -hmm. I'm here to support you professionally (laughs) I mean we're gonna get into it but I think it's very interesting to see how 
you're coexisting with people who you're also supporting, who are going Mm -hmm. through similar things you're going through, maybe on a similar life trajectory, maybe in crisis, maybe you're in crisis. Like the whole thing is is wild. So I want to get into segment one, which is So You've Been Told. And I think Mm -hmm. for this particular episode, I would love to talk a little bit. I mean, I kind of want to get from your perspective as a mental health professional, what are some of those myths around let's just say mental illnesses, but Mm -hmm. for the purpose of this episode, since we're in September, Suicide Mm -hmm. Prevention Month, I would love to do myth busting specifically around suicide Um, and and just some like big misconceptions that you've run across. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's why, especially doing intakes and everything, like I just having my own experiences with suicidality and then doing this work, I feel like, Maybe it could be a pro or a con, but I think it's helped me really recognize like and hear the difference between someone who's like, I'm really at my end versus these are thoughts that come up. Right. And I think yep. there's a lot of myths that especially for folks who, again, folks who maybe have never dealt with having suicidal thoughts um, and folks who don't have a lot of mental health experience and like they only know kind of what they've read about in school they kind of freak out a lot of people will freak out mental health professionals when they're meeting with someone who expresses like i'm having thoughts i'm having suicidal thoughts a lot of people are like oh gosh do i like escalate to like all this stuff right um so i think like one myth that happens is i think from like a client perspective is that if I express that I'm just even having a suicidal thought that I'm immediately going to be hospitalized in Washington state. Cause I can at least speak for how Washington state stuff works since that's where I've been working. You know, it's pretty hard to get hospitalized just with thoughts. Like, I mean, I don't want to say you can never be hospitalized with thoughts, but I think it's it's like a, at this point, like a 1% chance that you would be hospitalized for only having suicidal thoughts, no plans, no intent no access to means like if you literally are only having thoughts it's like it's thoughts a lot of us have thoughts like I'm not gonna put you in a hospital and if you're only having thoughts that you know might go away tomorrow or even for people who I think there's a lot of misconceptions about people who have chronic like suicidal thoughts too where a lot of people just assume that you know someone's definitely going to do something that it's always like like a lot of people feel on edge about it, but I'm like, there's a lot of people who have suicidal thoughts every day and like, yep. don't act on it. I was like, it's, you know, I'm like, it, it doesn't mean just because you have the thoughts that you're definitely going to do something or that someone's definitely going to do something because there are a lot of people who have thoughts, but like really want to be alive. And so that really helps them like counteract it. Like, they're just like, I want to actually be here. I want to be alive. I can see reasons why I want to be here. And it's just, I have to just deal with some thoughts that I can't really get to go away, you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, and it also depends on how intense they are too. So, I mean, that can make a big difference, but if it's more of like passive thoughts, you're like, okay, they're there. And, you know, we coexist and we're going to just live together because you're not going anywhere. I'm also not going anywhere. So I'm like, okay, you guys thoughts. You're here. I'm here. We're just going to be, you know, and I'm chopping it up. Yeah, that's what (laughs) as somebody for a long time didn't ever want to talk about the fact that I had suicidal thoughts Mm -hmm. for this reason, like. I understand this. I I know people who still to this day, maybe even listening to this podcast right now who are hearing this and they're like, if people are having thoughts, they need to go do something. And it's like you yourself may have had a passive thought, right? Mm -hmm. There are so many different levels. Like you might be like, 
You might be like, um, God, it just would be better if I it never existed. Like, what's that mm-hmm. Bohemian Rhapsody song where he's like, I, where he's like, Bohemian Rhapsody. You know what I'm talking about? Where he's like, I wish I was never born or something like that. And I was like, oh, that's yeah. a passive thought. Like, it is? that's it not, is. I don't hear that. And I don't think, wow, that's a picture of perfect health. But at the same time, it's like, we've all thought these things mm-hmm. in one shape or form. Mine have tended to be uh, more serious than that. And mm-hmm. that like, I have chronic thoughts. Mm-hmm. That being said, like you said, like I'm the type of person who's like, I know I want to live. I have to exist with these thoughts. I have to figure out how to manage them. Yeah. But I know just the idea of like bringing up, like I have suicidal thoughts. People are like, I should never tell anybody that. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of risk in that. Yeah, there definitely is. I mean, it sucks too that people can't be very open or feel like they can be very open just because I think because of the stigma and also the lack of just like, I guess with the clinical term, psychoeducation <laughs> for the community and just making sure everyone understands like, you know, hey, if someone mentions they're having a thought, like just ask them, is there any support that they need or that you can offer versus immediately jumping into like, you're panicking and then like Mm. you're panicking and you're more distressed than the person who's actually having the thoughts. Right. Like that's not helpful. No. Like what's happening? Cause also, you know, as a person having thoughts, like I shouldn't have to now try to calm you down and reassure you that I'm going to be here and I'm going to be okay. Because now it's like, I already have to deal with these feelings and I already probably feel very like exhausted by them and now I have to help you because you're overwhelmed that I'm having thoughts and I'm like how do you think I feel and then there's shame with that too like I just told you and clearly the panic in your voice is making me feel like this is bigger than I thought it was so now there's something really wrong with me yeah and you're just like dang I I was just trying to tell you what I'm going through like I just need some support right now. Mm-hmm. And maybe the support is just listening. But I, I do want to know, like, for you, is there a point where you're like, okay, someone's talking about that. Now this is what I'm I'm hearing something as an actual red flag that mm-hmm. I should intervene in some kind of way. It doesn't yeah. have to be, I'm gonna go hospitalize you. Right. But yeah. Because I, I mean, in. at the end of the day, I still don't even have the power to do that. The hospital decides that if you, when you go to the hospital, but I think for me, I think about one time um, early on uh, in my first couple of months, actually at my job. So not long out of grad school. And I was meeting with this woman who um, they're like, she's in crisis. They're like, Ashley's the only one free meet with her. I'm like, okay, what do I do? And so I sit there and talk with her. And then I think it was the first time, like for us in like the clinical world, we talk about like, you know, risk factors, but also safety or protective factors. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of people who, you know, for instance, I remember there was a different incident where a former <laughs> A former coworker told a client that they were, they would probably be able to get hospitalized if they go to the hospital, tell them they have a plan and everything like that. But I was like, do not ever tell someone something's going to happen when you don't control what that next step is going to be. Because this client then was like, they didn't keep me at the hospital because the client wanted to be hospitalized. But I also told them like someone who's never been hospitalized wanting to be hospitalized, like it like sometimes some people really just need a break and hospitalization Mm. is not actually the thing. And some people hospitalization might be the thing. Um, But there's been a number of people I can tell they're really just overwhelmed and 
they don't know where else they can get a break from everyone. That is not them being in a very controlled setting where technically your rights are taken away during then, which is also very overwhelming. But that person had protective factors, which was they lived with people who were willing to take out any means from the house, remove sharps, things like that, and who were willing to sit with them and watch them and do fun things and stuff like that. I'm like, yeah, of course the hospital is not going to keep them because they actually have protective factors. They have safety for like safety factors. They have supports in their life who are actually willing to sit with them, be with them and make sure they are safe because Mm. sometimes it is just like a high intense moment and like it could be a weekend. And sometimes knowing you have that support around you can be sometimes enough to be like, okay, I made it through a really tough time and I actually feel okay. Maybe I didn't need to go to the hospital because like, you know, even if you voluntarily want to go, they can still hold you involuntarily, even if you feel Mm. fine. Like they will still, they can extend your time there. And people don't always realize that too, where I'm like, does this person really need to go? But I do think about the time where I worked with someone who had no safety, no protective factors. They were like, I have no reason to still be here. Like there's nothing like, I tried to ask them all the different things that I thought about, like this, that, this. And it was just like everything they could counteract with something like really negative that was happening where they're like, I can't see my kids. I do not have custody mm. of my kids. So it doesn't, you know, doesn't even matter about my kids. Um, I don't have any items anymore. I have nowhere to stay. I have not like everything was bad. And so I was like, okay, I think this person needs to probably go to the hospital so they can stay safe because they had already made an attempt before they got to our office. I would say they tried to, but like, I also struggle with in my head because I, you know, knowing how some things work and how some systems work where I'm just like, oh, hearing that you tried to do X, Y, Z, like, I kind of know that I know why it didn't work because like, you were expecting like an external force to do something that like they have protective factors so that you can't get hurt, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Like there's a lot of things that, you know, when we're so low, we may not realize that, you know, but I can't say that (laughs) to someone who's at that point, but I do have those thoughts where I'm like, dang, like this person tried this thing and I'm so happy they're still here. And I'm happy they didn't realize that like that plan was not going to work. Yeah, I think just knowing that someone tried and was hoping something was going to happen that day before they get to you and they still Mm. are like, someone else brought me here. That's why I'm here. And I think the person who brought them there did not realize what they had tried to do earlier in the day. They just knew that they were feeling suicidal, but they didn't realize that, oh, this person had tried, like literally tried to make an attempt, but like didn't know that that plan was not going to work. Like that, that was just Mm. statistically, they were not going to get hurt from that. It was definitely hard being in that situation because I was like, oh crap, there's like, like this person really is like at their like low point and at their end. And there's like nothing I could do or ask them about or offer that's not a like, higher level of care that would help them at this time because it was like yeah I was like if that person left I was like I don't even think this person could take the bus back to where they were going I was like I would not trust that they would even get on the bus or that if they got on the bus that they would go back to uh the place they were staying no they need something else so so that's always a hard part because even as someone who's experienced you know like my own suicidal thoughts just It is hard to see folks like also in that space and like being at that point because I'm like, what do I do? (laughs) You know, like you almost forget what to do because you're just like, oh, I get how you feel. And also like, I want you to be here. And I'm also like, but also this is valid. I'm like, shit, you know, really overwhelming because I'm like, 
I don't truly know what your circumstances are. Like you can tell me what's happening in your life. And I feel like, you know, some mental health people are definitely on the toxic positivity (laughs) on that wavelength, which is so annoying. But I'm like, sometimes I'm just like, there are people going through shit like we can't even imagine. And we like, I think people think, oh, their life can't be all that bad. But I'm like, there are some people who it's like, shit's bad. Like shit's really bad. And I'm like, and I don't think there's anything we can do to change some of the shit that they're in that would even make it an ounce better. And so it's like hard when you're facing that reality, but also like, I want you to still be alive, but also are things going to be better? (laughs) Yeah. So I want to end this segment, but I also, but quickly, I want to touch on toxic Mm -hmm. positivity in the mental health space. That's so frustrating to me because like of all spaces, of all the spaces to be toxically positive like people are really struggling to a point of like I don't want to be here and Mm -hmm. so like it doesn't really help like for you what you just said about like some people are in really actually bad situations where it's like a positive like reframe is not going to help like a positive reframe is not going to help if you don't have your children and that's what you want if you don't have a place to stay if you don't have anybody in your life to support you while you're going through this time like a positive reframe is not for that. But I also think about when I I used to volunteer at a children's psychiatric treatment center and help them process things by writing poetry. And I just remember mm-hmm. one person that I spoke to, one young person, he was talking about stuff. And when he finished, I was like, all of that sounds horrible. All of that sounds like, mm-hmm. all that sounds bad. That really sucks. What you're going through is very hard. And I remember in that moment, like it, it looked to me like no one had ever validated that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's when I think about this stuff where I'm like, oh, you've been in places. I mean, he'd been in a lot of treatment facilities where people have probably just tried to tell you like, oh, no, I mean, it's really not that bad. You'll get through this. It's OK. Like, all, and it's like, yeah, I mean, I'm sure he wants to know he'll get through it. But someone needs to say this shit is vile. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. When, when people are going through stuff, you need to acknowledge what they're going through. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing that positivity can do to make somebody feel better about the bad stuff that they're going. I just hate it. I hate it in all spaces, but I'm just like in this space. It's really bad. It's really bad. It's really icky. And like, I've definitely had moments when I talk to some coworkers where there's clients going through certain things. And when we're just consulting about it and then they're just like, I just don't get it. And I'm like, okay, this is how I know you ain't been through some stuff. And it sucks because I'm like, you shouldn't have to go through your own like, you know, mental illness and go through like trauma to understand other people. But I feel like there's some folks that they're like, I just don't get why they can't just X, Y, Z or just do this. Or like, like, it just seems like it's right there. And I'm like, right I was like y'all are making me cringe so bad so bad like some of you don't know what it's like to like for it to be hard to function you know like to truly do just your basic needs every day because you're just like it's easy just get out of bed just go take a shower you know like some people like they really are like don't fully get it like sometimes they feel like they get it to a degree but I think when some clients are stuck in it too long it's like their empathy meter starts to decrease because they just feel like the person's stuck. People get really frustrated when people are stuck, you know, like not everything is an easy fix, but yeah, I think having that validation and like, I'm great. You were able to help that young person just like by validating them. Cause that is sometimes that's all I do in intakes too. It's just like, especially when I have to ask people about 
have you had suicidal thoughts in the past? And then I have to add some more details to it, but I always tell people, if you don't feel comfortable providing details today, you can always say, yes, this has happened, but no, I don't want to tell you like anything else. And that's fine. But I have some people who feel comfortable explaining details because just like I do ask people what types of suicidal thoughts they've had too. Because I'm like, I'm like, just like you were saying earlier, there's levels, there's degrees, you've got passive, you've got active, things like that. And, you know, there's a lot of people who say, yeah, I've had thoughts. I'm like, probably 80% of people I do intakes with have had a thought and then maybe a lot of them no plans or anything else it's like yeah it's never escalated besides like maybe thoughts of not wanting to be here or mm-hmm. maybe sometimes having the thought of like ooh like maybe I want to you know really die or like in my life but there's a lot of people who haven't taken the next step of like trying to figure out how that will look what to do like you know I'd say probably only 20% of intakes I do in a given year, 20 to 30% are with someone who's actually made plans. And then Mm -hmm. maybe in whatever amount of people who've actually made attempts from that. But it's just like, yeah, it's pretty common. A lot of people have thoughts because, you know, we're humans and life is rough and we are dealing with so much stuff. We're dealing with so much, so much personal (laughs) stuff, but then so much other stuff. Like, right? Dude, I... Every day I'm like, if people aren't feeling as bad as I'm feeling right now, what is wrong with them? Which is not a healthy thought, I would say. (laughs) That sends me spiraling. That makes me depressed. And so Mm -hmm. like, there's so many compounding factors that we got to normalize talking about suicidal thoughts. That's how I feel. That's like the first step in making sure that people are getting the support they need. So this is when I get to ask you, Ashley, what is no longer your ministry? Wildly enough, I was having this conversation with my roommate earlier, but basically that I don't have to validate everyone and all of their feelings all the time, because I think that's been a pressure. Mm. like recently because I like I totally validate people, but it's like, you know, my roommate reminded me is like, you don't have to validate everyone all the time, especially when some of the stuff that they were looking for validation for is like, mm, maybe this should be coming from someone else from like a different community. <laughs> like maybe we should not be asking a black woman to put a lot of energy, emotional energy to validate us in certain areas <laughs> when we're not a black person. <laughs> so, oh, which is tough. It's tough. But I realize I'm like, because I am one of those people who can always see like the perspective of what someone's going through. And so I'm here for you. And I am. But I think I've realized that it sometimes can be very emotionally exhausting and hard for me because sometimes when people are talking about some of their experiences and don't always realize that like, maybe this isn't the time or the space, or maybe if someone else was talking about their thing and you brought up something that's not at the same level or thing like that, it kind of takes away from like, this person really needs our support right now. And like, we really need to focus on them, but you just made it about you right now. (laughs) So I think the emotional energy of trying to make sure like everyone is okay and like everyone's feeling fine, but it's just like, this is a lot. So I think trying to like set boundaries with some folks, especially with like staff members too. Yeah, well, and it's interesting because you you literally are in a profession where you are supposed to provide support. So I'm I'm hearing from you like it's hard 
it's been a struggle for you to turn it off when you're like, this is literally not my job. Not my job as in like your actual job, but this is yeah. it's not my job as a person to mm-hmm. validate every other human experience because like I have my own stuff. What you're telling me right now mm-hmm. is not helping me with my own stuff. And right. in fact, doesn't require me, me as an individual to solve your problem. Mm-hmm. You can go talk to somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> And I think that's hard. Like, I mean, there's so many, there's so many factors you're fighting against. One being a black woman, we tend to take care of everybody. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate. Yeah. I know who I don't want to take care of. I know who I don't want to take care of. Right. But sometimes I'm like, wait a minute. You're like, wait a minute. Should I be doing this? Right. Or you walk away from a situation and you're like, I actually didn't need to spend that time doing that. I was not mm-hmm. the person for that. But it's hard. Like, how do you modulate mm-hmm. when you're on as support and when you're off? Because that's hard. <laughs> I feel like it's easier to do in, like, maybe in, like, your personal, like, sometimes in friend groups and stuff where I could say, hey, I don't have capacity today. But, like, if I'm in my role, like, as a manager, and so my job is to support people, but I never know what that's going to look like. It might start off with, oh, this thing came up, and then it turns into a whole other thing, and it's, like, becomes an extended support session, and you're like, oh, like I had capacity for this part, but not really that part. And it just blended together so much that I wasn't able to kind of intervene. <laughs> I wasn't able to stop it. And now I'm like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like the yes get quieter. And and then I'm just nodding. It just gets to me nodding. Mm. <laughs> like, yeah, I get how you feel. Like in a different way. But yeah, I honestly get how you feel. Like. This is not uncommon. This is not unheard. Like, I think that's the hard part when I'm like, is this person just like, is this their first time really reflecting on all this stuff? And maybe that's why they're overwhelmed Mm. versus like me. I'm like, I think about all the experiences I've had as a Black woman (laughs) a lot in my life. (laughs) So I'm like, there's some things that I've processed and I recognize like I'm going to have to continue dealing with different oppressive systems and like I've learned how I can navigate. And so I think it's hard when someone is of like a different group or community and then they're kind of talking to you about this stuff. And it's like, oh, like no one understands. I'm like, lots of people yeah. understand, actually. <laughs> people do. That is tough because you're it's like, lots of people understand this. Um, actually, there's a lot of research specifically dedicated to this, which is accessible via Google, which is free, just FYI. <laughs> And gathering a little bit of what you do for a living. I'm also like, there sounds like to be larger problems in your day to day to deal with than this realization from this person. So it would be hard for me. I mean, I I feel like personally, it would be hard for me to to not just be like, shut the fuck up. (laughs) I get it. But I don't want to be a part of it. Have you successfully navigated that yet? I mean, not really. I was just like, I, you know, I did my support. And then that's when I was telling my roommate about it. And she's like, you know, you don't need to validate everyone all the time. Like, it's okay. Like, if there's someone else who they could turn to who might be more willing to listen, like, let them go to that person and just talk to that person who maybe shares some more similar identities. (laughs) And not so much you. And yeah, I think also just the way some people, when they're sharing what they're going through, 
Because, I mean, they're speaking from how things go for them, but then don't always realize that, ooh, see your tone and things like that is kind of like disregarding some other people's experiences. You're getting really Mm. close, really close to like, you know. (laughs) We need someone to come in with a solution for this because it, I don't know how to navigate that. Like sometimes this has had to have come up with other people beyond the two of us. Yes. I know what's happened with a lot of people. Because it's not like you can be like, Hmm, Becky, sounds like you should talk to Karen about that. Like, it's not a very, because it's not like a, that's basically what they do to us. It's like, oh, we have a another Black yeah. colleague on the team. You might get along with her. Like, that's all you've told me so far about this person. So yeah. I don't feel comfortable necessarily being like, go ahead, Becky, go talk to Karen. Because it feels <laughs> like, it feels like yeah. we're doing what they do already. Yeah, and it's hard, especially in my field where there's just, you know, there's already not a lot of, people of color in general, then like black people, but then just people of color in general being in the space. And so I feel like there's always constantly times where you're like, okay, a lot of people end up coming to you for either stuff they could find on Google. Truly that has happened to me quite a many times before this position change. Yeah. Um, that used to happen a lot with, you know, some old coworkers. Well, you know a lot about social justice. And I'm like, ah, <laughs> like me falls off screen. It's like, you know, and then I basically am like, okay, I'm not going to give you the answers. I like to ask people more questions instead of answering the question they actually ask me. I just ask them more questions that I always have in the back of my head to help them hopefully answer, use their critical thinking skills to get to where they need to go. So that's kind of what I've done in the past. I wish I still had the old conversation because I just remember every time this person was just like, I just don't understand how these things work. And then I'm like, well, here's some questions. Here's some food for thought, but really just questions. And like, I just kept sending more questions instead of just giving her an answer. It's like, here's some questions. And I hope that, you know, you you find these answers. You find these answers. Because otherwise I'm like, I don't know how you're going to be in this field if you can't see how things intersect. Ooh. Yeah. That sounds... (laughs) I mean, that sounds exhausting, not only on a personal level, but on a systemic level, because we know that these same people exist in all the different spaces of the mental health profession field. And if Mm. they're the ones who can't get themselves unstuck by problems that have answers, I'll say, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. then what are we doing for anybody else? I'm scared. I don't know. I don't know. This is not how I thought this conversation was going to (laughs) go. I know, right? You're just like, yeah, we're just going to talk about this. I'm like, "Mm, let me tell you what it's like when you're in the field. Oh, my gosh. Well, I'm curious, too, because like, okay, so we've talked about the fact that this is no longer your ministry, but I'm kind of curious, like, when you're being faced with these situations, what does does it do to you personally afterward? I think for me, so at first I used to be like, you know, okay, this person wants to learn and everything. But I think over time, it's just gotten really exhausting. And like, again, because I can be overly empathetic and seeing like where people are coming from, where I'm like, okay, this person is truly like just ignorant about this thing. They don't know where to start. They don't even know where to start to research. But I'm like, Google is still free. Google is still free. Like, you know, people told me I'm the Google queen. I love Google and something. They're like, when did this thing happen? I'm like, I don't pull out Google. Let me tell you. I'm like, I love looking at random stuff. I will Google so fast. But everyone else, 
They're like, I don't know what to do. Let me talk to this one person because she talks about this at work. And, you know, I, I end up feeling very exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> exhausted, but also because sometimes people, I might take the time and labor to explain something. And then someone's response could still be like, but I still don't get it. And I'm like, what? or I still don't see why this is important or something. Like, I really, I, like, to give an example, someone was going to grad school who we used to work with, and for their essay, because now more counseling programs are actually trying to have a social justice-related question, because that, I don't think that was required in the past. I don't think that was as part of your, like, application to get into the school. And some people truly see like social justice as like social work programs only. Like that's a social work thing. Y'all do advocacy. Y'all do this. I just want to do counseling. I just want to help people with different mental health conditions, but not necessarily have a social justice framework and stuff. I'm like, how are you going to support? And I was like, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. So me, it doesn't make sense. But for them, they're just like, I don't see why it has to intersect. And I'm like, how could it not intersect? Like you've been working in, in community mental health. I don't know anyone who works in community mental health. I don't know how you could not see a need for. Right. Who are you talking to? I'm like, who, who are your clients? I know who like, some of your clients are. Where are they you? going through it. A lot of people are dealing with so many systemic issues and systemic barriers that are not even like their fault. Right. Like it's literally not their fault. Suicide prevention is like. We're talking about systemic issues. Yeah. And that's stuff that they didn't. Two, y'all. Like, I don't understand. They didn't get it. They didn't get it. And yeah, there's a question that was basically like how to incorporate social justice and counseling or like what were, I think they want to know what would be actionable ways they would incorporate social justice into their counseling practice, whatever that might be in the future. Right. And mm -hmm. they were like having the hardest time figuring that out. And I'm like, why is that hard? Like, how is this hard? Like, also, how like, is it then your job to then tell them how to, like, come on? They're asking me because, oh, incorporated to about their practice. Their. Like their practice. I'm like, I don't know what you're going to do once you finish school. I don't, I don't know what type of therapist you're going to be. I don't know what you plan. I don't know your life. <laughs> I'm not in your head. Well, okay. So now we're going into it's the work for me. Uh, like this is so funny because it's now transformed into like how can you protect your peace and your boundaries and your mental state your own while dealing with people who can't even fathom a world in which mental illness and race might intersect <laughs> can't even fathom and, and you know what, this, if we talk about this on like a more universal level, like we all face this to varying degrees. Mm -hmm. Now, when I go to work and I'm having a bad day, I always tell myself, I'm not saving lives. <laughs> you are though. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, okay, so now stepping into a space where you're like our actual <laughs> literal job <laughs> is to save lives. We're trying to keep people healthy and well. Exactly. And they are dealing with a world that is unkind for so many yeah. systemic reasons. So how then are you, I don't even know how I would maintain my peace. I think I would just cuss people out a lot. So that's why I'm not in that. But it's not for everyone. It's actually, truly not for everyone. about this work that you've done 
to balance both. I mean, we've already talked a little bit about it. Like you're saying, I ask questions. I don't just give them answers. I ask questions. That's Mm -hmm. one way you're doing the work to push people in the direction of seeking out information on something Mm -hmm. they supposedly care about. What are other ways that you're able to do the work and the work in this case being protecting your peace Mm -hmm. while still providing the support that is mandatory as part of your role? (laughs) Like you supervise. Yeah. People are coming to you for support. It is true. I think for me, my big thing is for the most point done a better job now at being like, once I leave work, I am technically off work. Like, I mean, I know I definitely will share like random stories from work. I usually try to share the funny stories with people (laughs) after work hours, but like, I truly am just like, I did forget that now as a manager, I still have to check my phone technically a little bit after the off time and a little bit before starting time. So I can't be like, okay, 8.30 to 5, that's it, bye. It's like, oh, someone could call out sick yeah, <laughs> or something. So I do need to be able to check to see that they called out and it's not like I roll up at 8.30. How come this person's missing? Right. Girl, they told you they were sick at seven. <laughs> so I think for me, like definitely having that balance of not checking like mm-hmm. my work phone afterwards, not like still trying to follow up on stuff like too late after like technically when I'm off. Like if it's something that can wait till tomorrow, it'll wait till tomorrow. I've definitely just decided that I'm not gonna stress myself because I feel like I used to really hold a lot of other people's anxieties at work because they would come to mm. me so often about it. Now I feel like I'm not holding their anxiety so much, but now it's just like, okay, really trying to figure out like, how can I be supportive, but also not use up as much of my energy? So yeah. I think, you know, moving forward, really, like, if they are kind of talking to someone else and leaning on them, I'll be like, okay, I'm gonna let them talk. I'm not gonna give any input. I'm just gonna, like, maybe look at my computer. <laughs> like, I'm here and I'm, like, listening because I'm also listening to make sure someone's not, like, literally like about to have like a full-on breakdown because like I do care that they're not breaking down but if it's like oh I'm just thinking about all of xyz and this is like this and this and I'm like okay well I'm not gonna I was like they're getting support it sounds like they're getting some support from another person I'm gonna let them kind of go on that wavelength because it's like this isn't a safety concern I've already said multiple times if they want to take a walk they can take a walk but I'm also telling myself if I've offered support or offer like and out in a way for people and they don't take it like I'm not there's nothing else you need to do in that scenario I'm not gonna stress out about it because I'm like I gave them the thumbs up to be like you can step away and they're like nah I'm like okay well this <laughs> I'm like I'm not gonna let it bother me if you continue to be stressed when I give you an option to step away so that's when I'm a lot of what I'm doing now was like okay if I've offered to help them the support then you know, I can't let it bother me that someone's mm-hmm. still not doing that because people get choices. We all get choices. I'm sure I've, you know, done that before myself. Someone offered me support and I didn't take it. And I later on probably was like, dang, I should have listened to that person. Yeah. <laughs> Many a times. And, but now I'm like, I feel like in the position where people are actively coming to me for support and I've already said my piece mm-hmm. and it's still not, doesn't seem to be enough. Then I'm like, okay, well, at the point that you decide you want to follow my advice or you want to actually process XYZ, I'm here. But until then, I'm not going to keep healthily making yourself available, but also yes. making sure that you're protecting your own boundaries. Mm-hmm. The other part of the work is then just taking care of yourself. And so I know mm-hmm. we chatted about this a little bit before we started recording, but like, how do you then 
you're leaving work. This is a time where you don't have to look at your phone. Nobody's calling yeah. sick. And <laughs> people are off doing their own evening yeah. activities. And you're like, okay, this has been a wild ass day for whatever reason. Could have been funny. Could have been not funny. Yeah. But it was a wild day. Now, how do you, as a person who struggles with your own stuff, mm-hmm. start giving back to you and taking care of you so that you can show up to work tomorrow? Yeah, I think for me, sometimes it's either making plans to see a friend or someone after work. If they're free, like you want to grab some food, you know, because food is nourishment. I love food. I love to eat. So I think that's my thing. Like I love to meet with people over some food, even if it's like something small, something like that really feels like a nice way to like end like a really like long, high energy, whatever it was day. Usually, especially if it's like more one-on-one or like only like me with two other friends, like a small group at most, but like usually Mm -hmm. a one-on-one, I'm like, this feels nice. Um, I got my little farm game. (laughs) I play Stardew Valley on my phone. I got my little farm, you know, I was like, when I decide to leave this capitalist society, I'm going to go take on uh, my grandpa's farm. He left his farm for me when I decided to leave my corporate job. That's what happens in the game. It's basically like you worked for Amazon or or like Walmart, basically. I think it's more of like Walmart because there's a JoJo Mart. You basically work for Walmart and then you end up like quitting from like the call center side of Walmart, basically. And then you remember your grandpa left you this letter. You know, it was one of his like last wishes. He was like, here, you know, if you ever get tired of the big city life, come out to the farm. And I'm like, wow, yeah, that's what I need. So, you know. Been learning a lot about farming, seasons, agriculture. I got some, I got like two chickens and a dog. I got two cows. I got a dog. His name is Snoop. Okay, Snoop. There's a lot. There's a lot I got to do. And it's like the day goes by so fast. You got to water everything and you got to go to the mines. And I got to go down there and fight little different bugs and stuff. But also I got to get copper ore, gold ore so I can buy stuff. Anyway, it's a whole you thing. Stay, That's what I stay do. busy. Outside. I stay busy. I'm like, I got to take care of my farm. But then sometimes I don't play for days. But I think on especially like long, stressful days, I find myself being like, I don't want to do anything but like look after this farm. And I'm going to do mm. even the easy activities. I may not even do some of the like harder activities on the farm because I'm like, I don't feel like killing monsters and trying to get the stuff I need at the same time because the the monsters get stressful. So I'm like, I'm just going to make sure everything's watered and pet all my animals. The simple (laughs) things in life. You know, try to talk to the little single people in town because you're also trying to see like, can I get a boo on this game? So (laughs) I'm on the market in this game. So let's see what I can get. Everyone starts the game on the market and then they tell you, here are all the eligible people you could date. I highly recommend Stardew Valley is great. There's the mayor lost his shorts. He wants you to find them. But then you find out that low key, in case anyone plays Stardew Valley, they're in this lady Marnie's room, but you can't get into her room till you're close friends with her. And then when you get the pants and you bring them to him, he's like, where'd you find them? Oh, uh, I I wonder how they got there. And I'm like, "Mm, okay, mayor. You the and tea. the tea. I was like, I can't believe this game. That is a wild game. Oh my god! It's so it's funny. To unlock gossips. If someone told me um, 
that I could do that via game. I'm already all in these reality TV shows looking for gossip. Gossip that has nothing to do with me. That's my favorite kind. And so I'm just like, I could get this out of a, a farm game, no less. Since we're closing, let's talk about resources. What are what resources are available for people who are struggling? I mean, even in the way that you've kind of spoken about in this episode, like maybe they're just having a hard weekend. Maybe yeah. they're trying to get through a time. Like what are the varying levels of resources that people have access to? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of levels. Um, I know like, you know, there's always like the crisis line or the what is it now? The 988 line. I know there's a lot of like complexities that came out about it or like a lot of people yeah. had a lot of criticism, which is valid and true. But it's also just like I also think that's a whole other conversation I could have about how I think there's a lot of people who don't always know how the crisis line works and that, you know, that's been there and that's always been how it's operated. They just made it easier to remember the number. I think also I know like NAMI has some support. So like, especially if you are the friend or loved one of somebody who has mental health conditions and you're like, I don't know what to do. They actually offer a lot of family support groups too. So that families can actually learn about like what this person's dealing with or like, how do I support them? There's probably a lot of them that I probably should just write down. Yeah. And we can put them in the podcast notes so people have access yeah. to them. So we'll Yeah, because I think that would probably be good too because I know at the top of my head I usually like have things written down but I'm always like okay are we looking for a therapist are we looking for this because I think like NAMI and was it Mental Health America have a lot of um, good resources too that are like general some are a little more specific there's also mental health first aid and there are uh, which is usually free in the community and I've also been trying to read more about like suicide prevention strategies for like that are community uh, based community level because I think Mm -hmm. that is something I would love to help people understand more about how to recognize like when I need to do the big intervention and when I just need to support someone um, and not freak out (laughs) Uh, because you know people are gonna have these thoughts I have these thoughts and you know I still I'm still here and I do this job so there are ways there are ways to do it. There are ways to support folks. All right, we'll gather a little list. We'll curate. We'll get a little list. We'll get a little, get a little list. You know I love a little list. This podcast is a labor of love. And too often, labor by Black women happens without compensation. If anything in this episode resonated, and if you're taking anything along with you today, please consider donating to our Patreon or sending funds via Venmo. All information is available on that'snolongermyministry.com. Also, wherever you're listening to this episode, please consider subscribing and tuning in to next week's community release. Bye, fam.